Welcome to Beyond the Frontline Podcast, where your hosts, U.S. Air Force veterans, Donna Hoffmeyer and Jay Johnson, will help you transition from the front line to the home front. Listen every other Wednesday as they will bring great conversations, resources, tips, and feel-good stories that will resonate and relate. Now, here's your hosts, Donna Hoffmeyer and Jay Johnson. Hey, hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Beyond the Frontline. We are always honored. We feel privileged and, uh, quite frankly, just, I don't know, overwhelmed with gratification, gratitude. That's what I want to see, gratitude. Gratitude. Just to have this opportunity to get to bring amazing speakers, amazing topics, and things that we hope you find relevant to you. I am one of your hosts for this incredible podcast. My name is Jay Johnson, and as always, I'm joined in studio by the one, the only, and I'm not going to call her it today. I oh. just will not. Donna Hoffmeyer. Donna, what's going on? Hello. No queen status today, I huh? Did, I, didn't, I didn't give you the royalty uh, title that right. you generally... Yeah, your husband will be happy that I'm uh, giving you crap for that one. That's yeah. great. How are you? I'm good. Things are things are good. Busy. Yeah? Busy? Yeah, yeah always. You are busy. I mean, I helped you out a little while ago and you were busy with all that. And then you took off and I haven't seen you for like since then. Yeah. Well, we got a lunch in earlier this week, right? That was the first lunch we've been able to meet up on in quite a while. But otherwise, we're like two ships passing in the night. We do. Busy busy in business, busy busy in life. And it's good to get out just to recreate. You've, You've had a chance to do a little of that as well. Well, I'm getting out here and there. The kids are just super busy and we're running around with them and Brady's starting track and field and Bianca's in band and whatever else she brings home. The latest and greatest from my daughter. This is no joke. She wrote up a presentation, a slideshow on all the summer camps that are available and her and her three friends put this together, the pros, the cons, the um, prices, and the dates and said, we would like to go to camp. And I was like, okay. That's awesome. And good, so good on her. I, yes. Being proactive. She very proactive and very organized way more than I was at 11 years old. And so um, she's going to camp this summer. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's what, what 11 year olds, what preteens, teens have at their disposal today to, to do these kinds of things are very different than what I had, right? For me, me a too. box, a stick, a rock, uh, a bicycle to get outside and ride around. That was my entertainment today. They yeah. they find these opportunities. They create opportunities. They're already doing podcasts of their own, if you will, oh, yeah. theater and all these other things, right? They, uh, they just had, yeah, theater. She just did her, they call UIL, so it's their competitive mm-hmm. Uh, all the theater groups get together and then they compete right and so she just had it they went to uh, one of the high schools and they all did like five different schools and they got first place that's awesome and these are like sixth seventh eighth graders and let me tell you it was an amazing production it's a one-act play they call them oaps and i was basketball girl so i don't know anything about this and so i'm there learning and watching these productions and 
they were amazing. That's awesome. Amazing. So yes, they, they are definitely far more advanced than we were because at 11 years old, I was trying to figure out how to stand on my bike to go down the hill without hands. That's oh, what I well, was doing. That takes, you know, that takes a different kind of talent, Donna. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. We've got a good guest today, right? I think we're, we're bringing another interesting topic into uh, the space. We are podcast, continuing but... on here. Yep. And we, we're bringing on more about veteran court. I love it. I yeah. know. And I did not realize how many different angles of veteran court there were, what went on with it. And I am learning every single day. And I got the honor to meet our guest. I, he came out for one of our veteran breakfasts and him and the judge spoke. And I'll tell you, it's an amazing program. And so I just went to them both and said, we'd love to highlight you on all the amazing things you're doing. And let me tell you, this guy is no slouch. So let me kind of introduce who we have here. We brought on with us, the, we'll give him the one and only, because I really do think he is a one and only, Mike Fogarty. Hi, Mike. Hi, how are you doing today? Good, hey, how good. are you? Good to have you. I am the one and only. There's only one of me. I'm telling you, I, after listening to you at the veteran breakfast, so I'm going to share with the audience a little bit about a little of your background, so you can they can understand how you fit into this. So you were 20 years Air Force, and you were a navigator, and mainly AWACS. And for the civilian audience that doesn't really understand what that is, it's the planes that fly up in the air and they kind of control the airspace um away from like the air traffic controllers so they're way out there controlling that airspace with all the other planes going around so when there's refuels needed or something's going on they're the ones that are like the big mothers in the sky coordinating is that accurate radar and command and control are the two things that they do there you go much more succinctly said <laughs> then he retired at randolph uh where the nav train school was and he went on to become a teacher. What grades did you teach? Anywhere from fifth through 12th. Wow. God bless you. I, I have a lot of respect. I have two kids that are in the middle school, high school, and you have a lot of my respect. <laughs> <laughs> and the last six years, special education. Then he went on and became an office manager at the Canyon Lake Mental Health Clinic in the Hill Country out here in San Antonio. Um, and then he just moved into a new position, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, he is a military veteran peer network peer service coordinator. Try to say that 10 times. But he is a busy, busy man. So, Michael, you prefer a Mike or Michael? Mike. Mike, Mike, it is. Michael's my in trouble name. <laughs> is that your name, like your wife gives you? Like, when well, I, I won't talk about that. <laughs> so, all right, Mike. So, when we um, met, we met actually through Judge Stevens. When we were, I was learning about veteran court, and he brought you out to the breakfast and you spoke a little bit on what you did. So, I'm going to kind of back us up a little bit because I want to learn a little bit more about you. First, when you were in the service, when you got out, because this kind of fits in sort of like, did you struggle when you got out? Did you have a difficulty with transition or anything like that? It was a little difficult. My last three years when I was in the service, I knew I was going to be a teacher. So I went through Texas State. Now, you know, back then it was, uh, you know, 
Southwest Texas State, uh, but they have an education program where they'll certify you to be a, a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I did that at night the last three years I was in. So I retired April 1st, which is a good day to retire. <laughs> and I was doing my uh, semester of student teaching at Canyon High School. So I was finished that up in May. And between May and August, nobody would hire me. Uh, school districts would, wouldn't hire me because I was a brand new teacher at age 40 something. Uh, local businesses wouldn't hire me because they'd say, OK, well, you're too experienced for this. And we think you're going to leave if we give you this job. So the only company that would hire me was Walmart. So I worked at Walmart for the three months from May through August until I got a my first teaching job at New Braunfels High School. So uh, other than that, the transition was easy, but I didn't expect to have that problem when I retired from the Air Force. Yeah, so a lot of people are surprised, you know, they they get out and they have these plans and, and when they don't go the way you're thinking, it's stressful, right? It's a stressful period to get out and go into a whole new culture. And when the plans don't come together, it, it just increases that stress. So once you, um, you know, you got into teaching and I'm just kind of moving ahead here is that you, you got, how'd you go from teaching to the mental health clinic? Like what was this transition? Cause that's that, I mean, let me back up. It's not that vastly different because you're dealing with a lot of mental health with growing brains, but how did you get into this realm of mental health. <laughs> yeah, a lot of my friends said after 20 plus years in the Air Force and 16 years teaching, that all prepared me to work in a mental health clinic. Uh, <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. Uh, but I've always had this feeling that I needed to be giving back to the community I live in. Uh, that was one of the reasons I joined the service. That was one of the reasons I became a teacher. And so I was looking for a job that I could give back and maybe help people. So uh, I actually applied through Hill Country for the position I have now. And they said, well, we just filled it, but we have these other positions. So that's when I looked uh, at what was around. And uh, they said, we have this uh, office manager job at Canyon Lake. Would you be interested in that? So I said, well, OK, what do they do? And I went in for an interview and saw what they did and said, OK, I can do this. Uh, and a big reason I needed to find another job is I needed some more social security years because my last couple of years of teaching, I went and talked to them and I said, okay, this is my plan. When I retire, what can I expect? And they said, oh, by the way, we're going to take money away from you because you did not pay into social security when you were a teacher. It's like, okay, I'd never even heard of that. Uh, so right. that was one of my goals is I need to get, find a job that number one, I could give back and number two paid social security so I can get some more social security years. So I tried that's to how I wound up at Hill Country. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid the irony of of where that road could go if we stayed in that space. We'll move on from that. <laughs> right. Of, about about them worried about you didn't pay into, uh, well, you know, for a period of time. And teachers to... have um, is that 4013Bs? Is that the teacher retirement system that's right. mandatory? Some districts have other programs, too. But the districts I worked in, it was just the TRS. Oh, yeah. So. Right, right. So Mars was ours was I taught college for a couple of years and it was the TIRA or similar to that. But yeah, you didn't pay Social Security. You paid into this instead. So, yeah. Hey, Mike, I love your servant heart when you said, hey, I've always had a desire to give back to the community. You know, I, I think that's how many of us are wired that our veterans, uh, certainly, and, and maybe even some listeners who didn't don the uniform who aspired to. But I just have a feeling that many of us uh, are servant 
hearted is what I'll call it. But, uh, you know, when you're in that mental health environment where, because sometimes people get stuck and they think, well, I don't have the necessary licenses, certifications, any of those things to do the work. Were there any kind of stipulations that you were worried about as you were moving from being a teacher into this arena, or was it a pretty easy thing to slide into? It was pretty easy because I'm not a counselor, so I didn't need a license or a certificate, but uh, everybody that came into the office, usually I was the first one to talk to them. Yeah, uh, And especially the veterans, when they came in, they didn't really want to be there. But when they found out that, you know, I was a veteran, then it opens more doors where you can now talk to them. I love that. Uh, and I wouldn't say I went out of my way to give them more service, but, you know, they are a special place in my heart. So mm -hmm. I would do whatever it takes to make sure they got the answers that they needed. I love that. So that clinic... Was it, it wasn't specific for veterans, but the veteran court used it. Is that correct? So that clinic is part of Hill Country. Uh, they also have one in Spring Branch, Bulverde, and they also have one in uh, New Brunfels on Landa Street. So the reason they opened uh, Canyon Lake, and they opened it about a year before I started working there, is they, they needed more rural access for mental health care. And it's open to everybody, not just veterans. In fact, veterans are probably a, a small percentage of the people they see out there. Okay. That, that's impressive, though, because that is a, a constant issue is I'm from a really small town. So my hometown's 1300. And I went home and doesn't matter the details. I ended up helping a veteran that was up there and trying to help them get resources. And it it was amazingly difficult to get the connections that he needed. So, yeah. Mike, do you think it'd be fair to say when you said, hey, it's open to everybody and veterans are just a, you know, a small portion or a subset of that. Do you think it's fair to say that there's probably more need in the veteran community than maybe what is sought after, right? Because we tend to be pretty resilient. We tend to believe that we can solve everything ourselves. And so maybe we don't open up and ask for help like we should, or do you really just believe that the veteran population in need of those services is less than maybe what's out there in society in general? I'd say most veterans probably need some sort of help, but like you said, they're afraid to ask. Uh, let me give you an example. In the Air Force for 20 years, I'm on flying status. We were always told, never tell the flight surgeon you're sick. Yeah, never agreed. tell them this, yeah. that, because they can take you off flying status and your career is gone. I know that's so, true. Uh, you know, that's just an example, but everybody, everybody's MOS, they could say the same thing. Uh, so you didn't, you didn't volunteer anything sure. because you never knew what was going to happen after that. Yeah. Because of that mentality, because I was a flight nurse and the same thing, like you, you had to be near your deathbed to even ask for anything. But in the even more subcultures, like your special forces and those guys, what started happening, and they've been doing this probably for a better part of 10 years or so, they started embedding the help into the units. So you're getting your physicians embedded, you're getting your um, mental health now is getting embedded. You know, so like when I got sick and I was a flight nurse, I could go to the flight doc, we could talk through it before anything got documented to see if I really needed to go to NIF or whatever it was. So it, it eased it up. But yeah, I would agree that there's also a lot of people that get gotten help and it's not documented and then it, it hurt them in the long run. You know, there was nothing there to, to go back on. Um, so how long were you at the mental health clinic for? Three and a half years. Okay. And then I'm assuming that 
you were staying in contact with the veteran peer network and there was an opening. Was that kind of what happened? Half correct. I had no clue <laughs> who the person was that got this position before me. So one day this other uh, person that works for Hill Country comes through the clinic and says, you're a veteran? It's like, yes. He said, well, maybe you should apply for this job. It's open. It's like, oh, I didn't know it was open. So the person that took the job uh, was an army veteran <coughs> that get, was getting out and took that job. And his, his dream was to be an FBI agent. Uh, so he got a slot for Quantico and he was leaving to go do that. But I had no idea about it until this person came in. Yeah. Isn't that the way it happens sometimes, Don? Right? We, yeah, serendipitous. We cross <laughs> paths with someone. They ask questions or they just start talking about something in it. It opens up an opportunity, right? Or yep. or opens up awareness for. So it sounds like that's what played out for Mike, which is really cool. Hey, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, Don, because I think you're a little more savvy in this, Don, up to this point than I am. Mike, I'm really intrigued and just interested in hearing more about the peer network. Yeah, and and what that entails, what it looks like. What's a what's a day in the life of Mike? <laughs> I work mainly from home. San Marcos is my home office, but that's because Hill Country says that's my home office. Uh, I'm responsible for 19 different counties in the Hill Country, uh, but most of them, most of the activity is Comal, Hayes, because of the big population center. Kerrville is the home office for Hill Country, so they're taken care of up there. But I'll get phone calls, emails, uh, text messages. This person's looking for this. And the way I describe my my services, I'm sort of like a clearinghouse. If somebody calls and says, hey, I need help here, I give them the contact for whatever that purpose is, and they contact them. Uh, let me give you an example. Del Rio, I got a phone call from a spouse of a Vietnam veteran uh, that has PTSD and schizophrenia. Mm. So they weren't taking their medicine. So the spouse was dealing with that. <clears throat> and she said, okay, I need help for him, but I also need help for me. Because most people forget that the spouse and families need help too. Uh, so we got her connected with uh, uh, an in-person uh, counseling down there, but also the VA has some uh, online counseling and peer groups that she could talk to other people going through the same thing. So we give her that information and uh, we give, you know, the husband, the information he needs to, to get the help that he needs. Yeah. A lot, you know, you made a good point there. A lot of people don't realize when it's a veteran in need, it is also the family in need because a lot of times the family, they, they don't know what to do. And when you're in the middle of it, it's, you know, it's a vortex, right? Mm. You can't really see where these resources are. Um, and then it, it just becomes a, a big mess. So, I mean, for me, my brain goes to, that's all true, right? Yep. I hear you say that. And I believe that ought to be true. But then Mike, I'm just, I, I'm glad you're there. But I think, how do they find you? Right? Because I haven't heard about it until we start doing these kinds of things and having these conversations yep. and connecting with guests to bring on to inform. I'm being informed and educated, but but I love the fact that you're there and, and this spouse was able to find you and reach out and, and get help. Uh, TextVet does that, as we were talking about the website before. Mm -hmm. uh, there's places on there to ask questions. So when people ask questions, 
the people that work for the Texas Veteran Commission see that and they'll parcel it out to whoever is the local PSC in that region. And that's how I found out about that lady. Wow. Yeah. So how does this work? So so that's one to me, I'm understanding that's one aspect of your job, right? Because right. There's multiple things that we do. (laughs) Right. So there's a whole other piece in here that that's how I met you and through Judge Stevens and Cornell County. Can you talk to what your role is and explain what your role is in regards to the veteran court? Okay, so the veteran court in Comel County is misdemeanor only. It's not a felony court. Gotcha. Uh, usually it's DWI, uh, substance abuse. Could be some family violence as long as it's a misdemeanor and not a felony. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these people can be men or women. Uh, and they have to be a veteran. Uh, and they can plead guilty to the, whatever the, uh, the crime was in order to get help. Our whole goal is to get them the help they need. So if they plead guilty, then they have 18 months to complete this program. It's four phases. They go through each phase. There's different requirements for each phase. Uh, and we get them the help they need, whether it be mental health, whether it be uh, housing, whether it be a job. Uh, we can help them in all kinds of different ways. And we see them through this program. Uh, but I'm only one part of that vet court. There are other parts. Right. Uh, uh, before vet court, there's a staffing meeting. I'm one of the people that participate in the staffing. It's the judge, it's the uh, court coordinator, it's the parole officer, it's a VA representative, and then we have representatives from the defense and prosecutor's office. Mm -hmm. So we sit around and say, okay, this person's doing well, or this person needs this, or, you know, this is coming up, we need to watch out for that. Holidays are always a hard time for people. Mm -hmm. So especially if they have a substance abuse problem. So we kind of plan for that. Uh, There's different ways we monitor that. And we talk about that before the court. And anything we say back there is not admissible into the court because it's it's, we don't want them to get in trouble for something that they tell us. Right, right. Uh, And and your roles. So this is what's neat. So a little and we've said this on on probably other parts of this series of podcasts, but um, every almost every county in the U.S. has some type of veteran court, like the majority of the U.S., every state has veteran court, right? But each county, how they do it is, has different rules. And one of the unique things about Comel County is you, Mike, right? Your role as the peer, I'm going to say it wrong, the peer veteran network coordinator, military peer veteran network coordinator, right? <laughs> one of those. <clears throat> one of those. But the other, yeah, the other part yeah. of my job too is to to get mentors. Judge Stevens, a big believer of for each person is coming through the program, they need a mentor that they can talk to. Somebody that has a military background, they might or might not have gone through similar circumstances. It's not a requirement to be a mentor, but this person can talk to that the person going through the, the system without reporting back to us. So there's a fine line. I can talk to the mentors, but I can't find out what they're talking about with their mentees. Uh, so for that reason, I can't be a mentor right now because I know too much about what's going on uh, at the, at the staffings. Uh, yes, but I, I'm supposed to go ahead. 
Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. I didn't mean to step on you. That, that's interesting to me. I mean, I'm a certified coach, and that's kind of the way coaching works as a discipline, right? There's a code of ethics, and part of that is confidentiality inside that coaching session. No one would trust me to bring the real issues into a coaching session if they thought I was going to carry what they said to me out onto the street. But this fine line, I don't know you know, if this is what you refer to, but it's kind of where my brain went. There's this fine line where you can't always do that, right? If someone's threatening to harm themselves, harm others, that kind of thing ha has a requirement to be reported. Right. That's a mandatory reporting. It was the same thing when I was a teacher. If, yeah. if they're threatening harm to their, themselves or others, you have to yeah. report that. Right. Or if there's injury to a child, you have to report that. Sure. They're the only things we have to report. I got you. So how are how do people become mentors in that, Mike? I hear you say that. And I think you almost have a huge database of of names of people who have been, you know, one, they self-identified, said, I want to do it. And then maybe y'all vet them to say they're the right ones. But how does somebody become a mentor inside of this network? They contact me and say they're interested in doing it. Uh, the only requirement, they have to go through training with me. And I'll talk about what, what to do and what not to do, because there are bad things that mentors have done in the past. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, but then, you know, I bring it up to the judge and we talk about it at staffing because sometimes they're familiar with this person. Uh, sometimes they're not. And then we have to do a background check to make sure it's not going to be anything that uh, we don't want them to get involved in. Sure. Uh, uh, yeah. the, the breakfast that I met Donna at, there was a couple of people that came up and said that I'm interested in being a mentor. So oh, nice. I have their contact information. Oh, what they have to commit to is court is on Monday afternoons at 2.30. So they have to commit to coming on on court days and also be available for their mentee. Some mentees, they really use the mentors. Some don't talk to them at all. Uh, and it's not a mandatory requirement that they use their mentor. We just give it to them and, and to have uh, something else, somebody else that can support them. Well, one quick follow on, Don. Yeah, go ahead. So, Mike, though, I would think it behooves them to actually utilize the service, right? If if the court determines a mentor uh, would be beneficial to them, y'all assign one. The veteran comes back later, still struggling, still having issues, and they say, well, I've, I've never actually engaged my mentor. That's probably not good, right? So the in the eyes of the court system, it's a good thing if they activate it and, and stay engaged in the process. I'd say that's true. But think about it, too. There's some people in the program that don't think they have a problem. So they're just going through the motions to, you know, check that box and check that box. So until they fully realize that they need help, they're not going to embrace that. Yeah. Right. And uh, Judge Stephen had pointed this out to me one time when we were all meeting. He said, because uh, he looked over at me and smirked and he goes, you know, Donna, they need female mentors a lot, you know. So I put the plug out there. That, there you go, audience. Yeah. Yeah. That, that on behalf of Judge Stephen, he he would love to see more female mentors. <laughs> yeah. So if you're in the, the Texas Hill Country area, that's what we're plugging. right? That's there. right. Yeah. We're, we're plugging. But maybe us. that's true across the nation. It as could you be. talk about in this system. It may be worth them just to look into. How how successful, like how um how what is your your best profile of a mentor maybe that's a good way to put it like what when you see somebody with these traits are they better if they've been through the program if they've not been through it a certain background like what seems to that you see and go oh yeah this is our ideal person 
Right now, all the mentors that we have, none of them have gone through the program. There's one that has gone through the program and wants to be a mentor. So I'm in the process of training them. Mm -hmm. So I can't really speak to that part. Uh, But the biggest thing is, like you said, your service heart. You have to want to give back to the community. You have to want to be available. You have to make the effort, uh, even though it's the mentee that decides, you know, how much they're going to use the mentor. The mentor has to be accessible. Uh, So if they do text you or they do call you, you have to answer. You can't just blow them off until next court date. Right. So the do you see um jay was making the comment like it would behoove them to utilize their mentor um do you see the majority of these people actually utilizing them do you see a variety i mean like you made the comment like you know if they're not with it they're, they don't realize they have a problem they're going to just go through the motions which i get that but what do you see as a population some of them use their mentor a lot and the, the mentor will meet them for lunch or, you know, meet them for their uh, activities. Like mm-hmm. if it's a family activity, like a graduation or a celebration, you know, the mentor will show up because the mentee invited them. Yeah. Uh, there are others that I've, other people going through the program that they've said they've never, never called the mentor. Don't want to talk to them. Uh, don't feel comfortable, but there's going to be people like that all the time because they're, yeah mistrust of, of, you know, government organizations, even though these people aren't paid, yeah, they still represent the court. So some of them don't want to talk to them. That makes sense. Do you ever, do they have the option, like say if they meet with the mentor, do they have the option to get a different one? If yes. If you don't feel a connection? So the men- mentor is assigned by Laura, who's the court coordinator. She knows all the background of the people that are coming through the program because she processes them before they plead guilty in court. So she kind of knows the mentors and the people coming in the program. So she kind of assigns the mentor based on who she thinks is going to be a good fit. There have been people in the past that for whatever reason, uh, you know, it's like a personality conflict and it's not not a good mix. So then they'll switch the mentor. Uh, I was part of a conversation where they were talking about how uh, women coming through the program should always have a female mentor. And that's not necessarily true either, depending on what their background is, what they've gone through in the past. So it's really not based on sex. It's not based on race. It's based on who Laura thinks is going to be the best fit for this person coming through the program. And then if it doesn't, then we try something else. I love the intentionality and uh, diligence that's applied in, in the soundness of the of the reasoning for doing it. I think that's fantastic. Probably like you, Mike, I know Donna and I've talked about this on an earlier episode way back in our podcasting beginnings. We were just talking about mentor programs that are mandated where somebody's assigned to you and you don't have say in it are usually not as successful as those when you get to look at somebody and say, this is who I admire, respect, yeah. somebody that I would like to actually sit with, learn from. So I love that y'all have that flexibility and latitude. Do, do you see uh, the mentor and the mentee, do you see a lot of them continue life, you know, lifelong friendships? Do Afterwards, they- yeah. There's there's some that have come through that I've met, because like I said, I've only been doing this for about seven months. Right. But there are some that come through the program that still contact the mentors. And I, we went to the Veterans Day Parade and we marched in the Veterans Day Parade in New Brunfels oh. as the court. 
so oh, yeah, there were people that were talking to uh, Judge Stevens and Laura that knew them from previous and, you know, it, it, they'll meet them at Worst Fest or something and come up and talk to them and say, give them an update what's going on in their life. And, nice. Uh, yeah, I like that a lot. So Mike, you alluded to earlier, Donna teed it up and then you, you, you know, backed it up as true. This is just one part of what you do. What's, it is. What's maybe another aspect, Mike? Uh, peer groups. Uh, I, I attend th three peer groups on a regular basis. And some of them because I like it and some of them because I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, I'll give you an example. On Friday mornings at 8.30 at Guadalajara over off of Seguin and Business 35, yeah. there's a group of veterans that meets every Friday for breakfast. You don't have to be a member. It's just whoever shows up. Sometimes there's five people. Sometimes there's 25 people. Uh, I will say that most of them are older than me, but every now and then somebody comes in that's younger than me. Mm -hmm. So you never know who's going to show up. And uh, it's just an, and uh, Donna will know this. If you're in a different branch of the service, we give that person a hard time. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the Air Force sticks up for the Air Force. The Marines. Ribbon. Yeah, yeah. But if somebody else comes in and starts talking trash, it's like, hey, right. you need to oh, leave. Yeah. Right. No, yeah, that's 100% true. That is the way that we re respond and react well, to that. And just for transparency, Jay's retired Air Force too. So yeah. he's, okay. uh, he gets it. And the, the veteran breakfast that you see, he actually started that. I kind of took it. Okay. So yeah, yeah, he's the one that started the whole thing. I'll so. say we did it together, right? But it is nice to see it flourishing and Donna's taking it to heights and levels that, you know, we hadn't imagined in the beginning, which is, is really fun, Mike. But I hear you saying you have this peer group that meets yeah. every Friday to where this, you know, initiative that Don and I had the pleasure of standing up, we were only doing it, you know, Hopefully. once a month. Yeah. So I love that. There's an opportunity with no set agenda, just come out and have some fellowship, camaraderie. And as you pointed out, Mike, some good natured ribbing. On Thursday nights at six in Brumfield's Housing Authority, there's a peer group that meets. Mm. And uh, also, we so I, also weekly. And that one's run by Chris Willis. So he's the one that started that. Oh, okay. He invited he invited me to go to that, and uh, there's some really good natured ribbing that goes on there. <laughs> <laughs> so if you show up to that one, have a have a little bit of thick skin. Thick skin. Right here. Now, yeah. what is that one? That's interesting. The housing. The housing authority just gives us the space. Uh, it's oh, down okay. off Alanda of Street. Uh, okay, yeah. and it's a veteran. It's a veteran peer group. Yes, and uh, a lot of them have PTSD or anger issues, and. Uh, many of them have said that they look forward to that because they get to, you know, let out some steam and yeah. give some grief and take some grief and <laughs> give us an idea. Just what's an approximate attendance? Are we talking twenty-five to thirty people. We talk. No, nope, sometimes it's just two people. Oh, Chris okay. and I. Oh, sometimes nice. it's ten people. Uh, yeah. So it just depends on who's going to show up that night. There are okay. some regulars. Okay, but it's an opportunity uh, nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, take it or leave it. It's an opportunity. And what's the third then, one? Third one is at the uh, New Brumfield's VFW Hall. Uh, oh. It's uh, Alex. I'm trying to think of his last name. He started as a PTSD group. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've only been to that one once, but it's the VFW Hall uh, down by the library in New Brumfield's. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's six o'clock on Wednesdays and they'll have a little meeting. And then uh, there's a, a, a couple spouses that bring food and usually everybody has a communal meal afterwards and uh, it was it was kind of interesting 
Are spouses welcome generally to any? Not at that meeting, but they're a, a welcome for the uh, communal okay. meeting. Okay. No, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. So you know, it's a it's. I'm going to tell you how this all ties into a little bit bigger picture. Is that um, we we actually have a meeting coming up yeah. when I schedule it. Judge <laughs> <laughs> Stevens, I'm working on that um, because one of the challenges that he has put out is that he wants to see um what's a fair term like a more robust access to resources so you hear those three things right there right and like i've been in here this area in 13 years i'm like did not know one of them yeah. now i just met chris willis and I, he told me about fridays i didn't know about thursdays which he started but i know about fridays because of him and so, and then we have like our veteran breakfast once a month and there's all these places that have stuff to offer and people don't know. So we need to connect them. Yeah. That's what we're talking about is where do we find a central point that it's twofold that we can a robust up with all these resources and B get to all these places and say, Hey, if, you need a resource for these people. Click here. Knowledge Let's is, go here. Knowledge is power. I know. Right? And knowledge that's that's what we're now engaging into. I love some that. uncharted waters, right, Mike? <laughs> yeah, there is no one single access. Yeah. Uh, VFW, American Legion, you know, they're right. they're in every little small town. They all do their own thing. And I found out that they don't really like communicating with each other mm -hmm. because they have different populations they serve. I know uh, that. And then each county has what they call a veteran service office. Mm -hmm. So uh, ours is over in the old Churchill Elementary School. Uh, Michelle Davis runs that. So they do certain things very well. Uh, but what Judge Stevens is talking about, like if somebody's gone through uh, the treatment court or he, he finds out about a veteran that needs help. Okay, they're homeless. What do we do for them? Who do we call? Yeah, uh, this right. person needs help paying their electric bills or they're going to get you know, turned off. Who do we call for that? And that's what he's talking about, to yeah. have a pool of money. And he doesn't want to control it because then you got the government problem. So it's got to be a nonprofit that, that does this. That, that uh, it. Yep. So okay. Chris is working on that. I know he's talked to the McKenna Foundation. I know they're working on stuff. Uh, you got the homeless population that they're going to have that place it in in new brunfels at the old fire station that they're working on i think that's called first footing or something like that so there are all these people doing things but nobody knows nobody's got their hands around it and that's what we're trying to do is kind of get collective bringing this all together so all these resources I love are accessible and we have awareness for yeah. all these resources well somebody listening to this podcast i have to believe is going to say i never knew yeah. Right. I had no idea. And and regardless of where they're listening from, I hope they now start inquiring locally and they start finding out what's there. But here where we're at in, in central kind of south central Texas. Suppose, yeah. Right. We've got some good things happening because people with really good hearts are are seeking to make this yeah. these connections. So we're going to bring some minds together and, and like hopefully it. do that. So, you know, back to kind of what Mike is doing with the, the peer network. Great. He's a one man band over there. Mm -hmm. I mean, in his area, and there's a whole, there's, there's a lot of the peer service coordinators, but I, I can tell you that as a clinical case manager in the air force doing similar to what he was doing, right. I was just doing it in a clinical setting that, Holy cow. I mean, I know what you do, Mike, because I've been there and that is a 24-7 job. You get phone calls at all hours and text it. messages and you're and you're putting out fires and you're trying to figure out 
you know, sometimes one fire gets bigger than the other because if it's a more acute situation and man, you're hopping. So, I mean, I, I did that for eight years and I have a lot of respect for what you guys do. So, so we've got a couple of the prongs, Mike. Oh, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say a lot of people don't even, they, they just define veteran different. The VA has a definition. Uh, Judge Stevens' veteran, uh, definition is if you put your hand up and said, I serve, doesn't matter whether it was one day or more than one day, you're a veteran. But the VA says it has to be 180 days of you know, service before you're considered a veteran and, and eligible for their services. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's all there's there's all these different perspectives. And it's very intimidating and it's very overwhelming for the veteran, right? And so if you just imagine taking a veteran that's compromised in some way, PTSD or, or is just the prime example, but it could be physical injury or anything like that. And they're trying to just get better, right? And you're charging them with all these, like your financial issues, family issues, you got this going on and they they can't. Pass go, do not pass go, yeah. right? And then there's like holdups and then you got to apply to the VA and you got to do this. I mean, it is crushing to yeah. them. And then boom, what happens, Mike? Unfortunately, you might see them on one side that's needing resources. And then you might be seeing them on the other side that's in veteran court because life just got way the hell too much. And they just reacted yeah, and, and made a bad decision, you know, and, and I am super thankful that the veteran courts, and I can only speak for the two that I'm I've spoken to, which is the Bear County and Cromwell County, but they recognize that and go, hey, we got to do better because yeah. these guys, th- these were honorable people that raised their hand, that that took the oath and did their best. And now they made a bad choice and we need to give them a second chance. Yeah. You know, that's good. So we've got a couple of prongs out there, Mike, and we the, the second prong there you just introduced was this, these peer groups. What else? That's three prongs. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, that's three. Uh, let's see. So like I said, the, uh, being sort of the clearinghouse for different things, mm-hmm. uh, jobs, yeah. Texas Veteran Commission also supports uh, getting jobs and employment for these people. So I don't do that, but we have a contact over, it's, it's actually by Guadalajara, the yeah. Texas Workforce Commission. Right. It's a veteran that he helps other veterans get employment. Uh, the New Brunfels Housing Authority, there's a program called VASH, uh, VA uh, voucher for getting temporary housing. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if somebody calls up and says, I need housing, I put them in touch with them. No. They only get so many per year. But then they can trade among counties. And you were mentoring Bayer, they, because they're so big, they have a lot, but they don't use them all the time. So then they can trade it to, you know, Comal County. And so, but that's all above my head. I don't understand all that. So I put people in touch with the people that know what they're doing. Right. That's part of it, though. Yeah. Just keep connecting. You're a critical piece. I mean, yeah, Mike, I mean, sure. it is, you know, you can say like, well, I don't know the details, which is fine, but you're that button that somebody can push and you can come out with, Hey, let's look at this, this, or this. But we've talked about that before on these podcasts, right? Suspend the need to know how. You don't have to know how. What you need to do is be able to ask the questions that activate, right? That put you in a contact with somebody who can tell you the how. And that's, again, my, some points will be the center of gravity that can actually render the assistance. And other times it may be, let me make an introduction, right? Let me, let me tell you how to contact. 
Who do you get calls? This is a curiosity question. Who do you get calls from more often when looking for a resource, the veteran themselves or a family member? I'd say the veteran themselves is usually the majority. I'd say it's 80-20. Mm, uh, family member, 20%. Veteran themselves, 80%. Uh, but it's like once they find out you're another veteran, then they kind of trust you more. Yes. So all these things that we're doing, getting out in the community. I got a, a text the other day from a man up in Dripping Springs. He owns a brewery, craft brewery. And he said he got my name and number from somebody that uh, heard about what we do. So I'm going up there next Monday. He has a group that meets seven to nine o'clock at night. And he wants me to come out and tell them what I do. Mm. Uh, so the more appearances and the more the word gets out, the more people know who to ask and say, okay, well, come talk to us and we'll, we'll do this and come talk to us. You, you had me at craft brewery. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What, my, I guess my question is, when do you sleep? I mean, I listened to that and I said, I've been in a different realm of that. When do you sleep? Well, I'm a big believer in napping. So anytime I'm working from home, I'll probably log out for about an hour and go take a nap and kind of get re recharged. That's good. But I've been that way my whole life. Even as a kid, I'd be outside playing and I'd say, okay, I'm going in to take a nap. And people would look, what are you talking about? It's like, no, this is what I do. I might need <laughs> this is how my body me. works. I might need you to be my mentor. <laughs> I could certainly stand to develop that discipline in my own life, I think. My son could be your mentor. Could he? That well, could teenagers, sleep. right? In general, teenagers. But, but tell Judge Stevens we need to have nap time during court because, you know, <laughs> Monday is the only day I don't get it. a nap. Yeah. Go for it. Him and the dog and you'd be good, I think. Here we go, Mike. I've got a two-part million-dollar question for you. What do you love about what you do and what do you find challenging about what you do? Uh, it's the same. You can answer both questions with the same answer is helping people. So yes. that's what gives me the most satisfaction, but it's also the most frustrating because if you can't find the help that this person needs, it's like you just throw up your hands. It's like, what am I going to do? Uh, you don't stop trying, uh, but, you know, sometimes it's not going to be successful getting the people the help they need. Yeah. Yeah, that's the hard part. Sometimes, you, you, you know, and you kind of made a point. You can bring that horse to water and you can throw those resources there. And there is a percentage that are not ready at that time for whatever reason, you know, and there's no judgment. It, it's hard to watch it, but. Why'd you look at me when you said that? <laughs> no particular reason. But we'll talk after. Yeah, hard-headed. Hard-headed. I hear you. Well, yeah, that's two of us. So, all right. I think uh, I think we should probably wind her down. Yeah, what we're do getting close. This is good, though, right? Because, you know, I shared with the two of you. I know you, you two met previously. It's my first time meeting Mike as yep. our guest. And uh, I just think this is fascinating. How have I made it to this place in life as a veteran, right? I'm in my mid-50s. And uh, and I didn't know. But now I do. Now I'm educated. And and it's not that maybe there will be a time when I need it. And now I know it's there. But I think more importantly, now that I know I'm in a better position to be able to serve and help others who may be in need by by just making them aware, Donna. As my brother said, when he was telling me about somebody going through some struggles, yeah, he said the difference between him and I in our youth. He's like, I didn't get caught. Oh, well, <laughs> so. There's that piece on that. And I, I say that a little tongue in cheek, but, you know, when these guys are going through veteran court and they're dealing with 
you know, there's going to be some level of shame or guilt or, you know, whatnot. Um, embarrassment. Embarrassment, yeah. you know, honorable serving in the military. And now, you know, they're dealing with veteran court and all that. And I just want people to kind of keep in mind glass houses, right? Like right. we have all made mistakes, 100% right? True. They just happen to be the ones that, that made it and got caught, you know, they're accountable, you know, and hopefully all these services that Mike provides, the, all the people that he gets them in contact with provide the, the peer mentor program Love it. that Love all it. that helps remind them, Hey, you know, you made a mistake, but it doesn't, it's not your identity. Yeah. You can now move on and still do awesome things. Yeah. And there you go. Right. That's my thought. Mike, uh, what didn't we touch on maybe that weighed on your heart, mind, spirit, as we were just kind of, you know, having this discussion today, anything else you would want to share just with the listeners? Uh, if, if people are out there and they had less than honorable or other kind of discharge, know that they can be upgraded too. There are people that can help you get that upgraded. And then once that's upgraded, you're eligible for more services. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people may not realize that like the civilian community may not realize that somebody gets a less than honorable or dishonorable discharge. Mm. They are actually prohibited from certain services like veteran, uh, the VA. Right. Yeah. And that that's awesome. Right. That they are say they made a mistake and then they get a less than honorable and they can't get services and the services they need to get back on track. I mean, right. it's kind of a little bit of a yeah, circle circle yeah, on circle. that. Yeah, it's hard. So. All right. I think that this was an awesome episode. Oh, there was one last thing I wanted to ask you, Mike. How do we get in touch with you? I don't know if you want to give that out. but <laughs> yeah, I, I have a work cell phone number, so that's the easiest way. That's okay. 737-221-1494. And I also have a work email that they're welcome to use. It's my first name, Michael, and then 6552 at hillcountry.org. Awesome. And those will be up in our summaries for people to be able to get a hold of you. So those will be there. Yeah, and that's good. Really good. Mike, just again, you know, said to you at the beginning of this, just I have a lot of gratitude for being able to be in this space. I have deep appreciation, respect, admiration for what you all are doing on behalf of veterans causes. Thank you for being out there. Thank you for sharing your time, your knowledge. We really uh, have enjoyed this this podcast uh, just with you. So I hope you know if you ever need anything, you've got a couple people on this end that that certainly will do our diligence to to serve, assist, or connect as we you know best can. All right, I put you down as my contacts in case something comes up. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> well, I'll be seeing Mike more, so yeah. I can't escape from him now. So, all right, everybody. Um, again, thank you for uh, sharing time and space with us. And on behalf of all of us uh, from Coming Home Well and Beyond the Front Line, you guys all have a wonderful week. Thank you for your time. Please follow, share, like, uh, and engage. If you're interested in learning more about this, we will be happy to get you in contact with the people that you need to in any state that you're at. So have a great week, everybody. Be good. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Front Line, a podcast of Coming Home Well. Join us every other Wednesday. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Thanks again. And until all are home and all are well.